Hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And in today's video, we're going to be talking about what Jesus has to say about the difference between unity and uniformity. Well, hey friends, my name is Marcus and I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church and I'm so glad that you've joined us online. Uh, feel free to say hi in the comments. We would love to uh, follow up and say hi back to you. But two weeks ago, Pastor Lucy gave a message about walking through enemy territory and how we kind of do that as believers, how, uh, how we are to walk, how our best uh, weapon against the enemy of the prince of lies is the sword of God's truth which is sharper than any double-edged sword. But Pastor Lisa talked about how sometimes we uh, like have the difference between using God's sword, which is sharp, it's uh, a great uh, moment of defense and also of offense, but that we often trade our butter knives of our own self-reliance, of our own feeble wisdom, of relying on other people uh, to, to tell us truth rather than have them confirm the truth of scripture in our lives and how so often we can trade the sword for the butter knife. Well, today we're actually continuing that journey of walking through enemy territory. Uh, as Jesus kind of concludes his prayer that we've been walking through in the Gospel of John series for a past couple of weeks now, because we uh, walk through this enemy, enemy territory with the confidence of God's word, the tool in which we defend ourselves by. But I think that the enemy's greatest um, kind of tool or trick in our journeying through this enemy territory is to convince us that we do so alone. But we're not made to be alone. We are made to be in community with each other. And I think his greatest win would be to convince us of the opposite, that we are doing this all on our own. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this ploy of the enemy. And so I think this is why as he closes out this prayer together, that his final words to his disciples in this prayer is ensuring us and reminding us that we need each other. That we need each other as we walk through this life and this journey of faith, this journey sometimes through enemy territory as well. And so we're going to conclude Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. And if you don't have a Bible with us today, please visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. Uh, you can either download a digital copy and just pause this video right now. Or if you live in our region here in Powell River, then you're welcome to fill out a form to be able to get a real physical Bible as well. But that's our gift to you. And we love uh, to just be able to do that to, for you uh, without questions asked. Well, we're going to read God's word, but together uh, before we do that, let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much uh, that you don't call us to live this journey of faith alone. God, that we have people around us that bring together community so that we're not isolated so that we're not on our own, so that we don't have to journey through life uh, without people around us. But God, I pray that as we do so, that we would value what you value, that we would know what your best is for us, and that we would walk in that together. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be journeying uh, through the end of Jesus's prayer uh, a little bit verse by verse. So we're going to start together at verse 20. It says this. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So here Jesus is broadening his scope. If you remember from weeks past, in this prayer, which is quite lengthy, Jesus prays first for himself. He prays to God on his own behalf, 
And then he kind of extends it to those who uh, have seen like the fleshly Jesus on earth. Um, and so that would be beyond just the disciples. And now he's kind of broadening the scope one more time to include those who come after those disciples who believe. That would include you and I by extension if we believe in Jesus today. And so the object of Jesus' prayers has become all followers who believe in Jesus through the word of the disciples, through the testimony found in the truth of God's word and scripture. And this prayer of Jesus echoes through time. And it echoes through time and has direct application to you and I today. And it's a powerful word that Jesus prays, and it's one that affects us right now. And so that's kind of how he begins uh, this last part of his prayer. So we're going to read on in verses 21 to 23. It says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you'd sent me and loved them even as you loved me. What a powerful group of verses. Jesus is showing the perfect picture of unity. He's talking about the Trinity uh, and how it's modeled for believers how we are to be unified. Now, he speaks specifically about his relationship to and with God, um, but we know that the Trinity is always operating in unity together. And David Guzik, a commentator, makes uh, a great observation. He says, Our unity is the same as the foundation of unity between the Father and the Son. Equality of person. We are all on the same ground at the cross. So understanding the unity uh, found here in this verse is important then to understanding how we as people together walk in unity ourselves. That there is dis this distinction between each person of the Trinity, but that they are equal and one in essence and mission. And although there is this distinction, we're all on level ground with each other when we look at this, how this affects us around us. Because being on the same ground as the cross, as David Guzik said, means we view others as God views them, as new creations, as having purpose, as those who God reveals the attributes of his character from. And the cross necessitates that we're all on the same level playing field. It's leveled the ground. When Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, he's talking about the relationship that Jesus has, obviously, with his Father, modeling the relationship that we come under authority to as we walk in unity. And this is what he kind of means. He, he's saying that in the same way that the unity of Jesus' relationship to God the Father is shown through his love and obedience, so must our unity be expressed in the same way of love and obedience to him and to each other. In our endeavors, though, to walk out in unity, we need to take care that we don't confuse unity and uniformity, because they are very, very different things. They are not the same. Unity is being of one mind, spirit, purpose, mission, and goal. It's kind of gathering the people around, keeping the main thing the main thing, while celebrating each other's uniqueness, their differences, and how God has created them. With unity, there's this tolerating and accepting of others' individuality and their uniqueness, and it actually invites us to not just tolerate it, but to celebrate diversity. Uniformity, however, is forcing sameness. It's, there's no regard here for uniqueness. Uniformity seeks to silence any difference 
any differences that we have, any dissenting thoughts that we may have, any differing opinions or beliefs, it's believing that everybody needs to be the same. Uniformity looks really great on the outside. Like, don't get me wrong, it looks great on the outside. There's a sense of sameness, of what seems like congruency, of kind of everybody being a cookie cutter of each other. It's neat and it's tidy and it's orderly. But this expectation of, of uniformity, I think actually dilutes the image of God in each person. That God has made us distinct. He's made us unique. And he's done so to show us and showcase the attributes of his image and his character. Whereas uniformity is neat and tidy, unity is not. Friends, unity is messy. It requires work. It doesn't happen automatically. Jesus says, like, I want them to be in perfect unity, but like there's this kind of steps that we have to take towards that. It's a constant journey for all of us. It means that there will be disagreements and differences, but it is this exact reason that it is God's best for us. That we retain our sense of distinction, but that we are still united in mind and spirit and purpose and our mission and our goal. And that is what unity centers us around. It doesn't force us into a mold that we feel like we don't fit into, but it allows us to retain our sense of individuality while still being part of the greater whole. We see this kind of mosaic that happens. Because friends, we are deficient on our own. We are deficient on our own. I am deficient all on my own. And we are deficient in uniformity as well. This is why we need a unity that celebrates differences in socioeconomic backgrounds of cultures, of ethnicity, of skill sets, gifts, gender, and age. Because we need each other to fill in our gaps and to reach a very diverse world. The world doesn't need cookie cutter. It needs messy, imperfect, and yet somehow also perfect unity. Because I think this picture of unity is actually the world's closest vision to what eternity with Jesus will be like. Revelation 7-9 talks about every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping God together as they are reunited with him in heaven. This unity amongst diversity is what we strive for, for when we see Jesus again. That all are represented in God's family. And this is kind of the picture of unity that we see that, that gives people in this world a taste of what heaven will be like. And Jesus then goes on to say what the outcome of our unity is. He says that the world may believe you have sent me. That's like the outcome, that our unity would cause people to believe that, that God has sent Jesus to this earth, that he is who he says he is. One of the greatest witnesses that we have to the world is in our unity. It is our unity that shows the world that Jesus' claims are true, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the authority that he's been saying, that he is the one in which we place our faith in. And it is so counter, this unity is so counter to the way our broken order of the world defaults to. And it is this distinction that draws people into who Jesus is. If one of our greatest verifications to the world of the truth of scripture is through our unity, then our disunity is one of the greatest stains to the witness to the world. And yet as I look upon the church, the, the capital C church, like the large church, her history, and even her present, 
I think we have often settled for uniformity rather than unity. Now I know that I've done my fair share of expecting uniformity over unity. And you know what it has done? It's done nothing good. It's done nothing good. It has only caused, to, caused a greater divide with those who I call brothers and sisters in Christ. It has caused uh, people to, to maybe uh, not continue to pursue faith because they feel like they need to fit themselves into this like arbitrary mold that I maybe feel like I've forced people into. It's caused division and hurt. It's caused me to have to walk out uh, forgiveness and repentance towards other people. And this expectation of uniformity has caused greater division, I think, rather uh, than it has caused the coming together of God's people. And I think our settling for uniformity has caused us to lose the vibrancy of our witness. When I read this passage, it actually caused me to kind of shake in my boots a little bit because it is a moment of taking a look in the mirror. It's taking a look at myself in the mirror. It's taking a look at ourselves together in the mirror. And it can be easy to see ourselves as kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of the big capital C church. But friends, we are all responsible for working toward unity and have it be a witness to those who don't yet know Jesus. Here's another quote. It says, Jesus essentially gave the world permission to judge the validity of his ministry based on the unity of his people. Unity among God's people helps the world to believe that the Father sent the Son. That's a little bit of a scary quote. He's given the world permission to judge the validity of his ministry based on the unity of his people. That this truly is our witness to the ministry of Jesus' work. And it causes us to take a moment, I think, to, or it should cause us to take a moment and reflect of how we are either contributing or not to the unity found in our churches and to the unity found that the world needs. Friends, I had had to really evaluate myself as I kind of read through and studied this passage. And I had to walk in repentance for the times that I've expected uniformity overvaluing and fighting for unity. For the division that I've caused in my life as a result of this. And I wonder, as I kind of reflected on God's word, if this is why the Apostle Paul, one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, was so concerned with disunity in the church. And I think it's not just because it hurts the body of Christ, that it doesn't, it just hurts those around us, but I think because it also hurts the church's witness. And friends, it can be easy to see disunity as the big things. Large church splits, uh, failures of pastors or other leaders, kind of public scandal, and, and, and this does cause d disunity, of course. That, I'm not saying that. There's no question about it. But it also seems that the ways that seem less visible are still just as inflammatory. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, one of those letters that Paul wrote, talks about the threats to unity that start as a spark, but can quickly fan into a very big flame. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, these sparks, these sparks can burn within us until they become the big things. Permitting those sparks to flare up only produces disunity internally and only damages our witness externally to the world. Where the gossip and the slander that we sometimes like allow to persist or that we perpetuate can be the spark in our lives and somebody else's life that causes uh, disunity, that breaks apart the body, that, that also hinders our witness. And as we look into our culture, it's easy to see that we are perhaps the most divided and antagonistic than I've ever seen, at least in my short time here on earth. In part, I think it's because our culture has also settled for uniformity over unity. I think the, in the brokenness of our world, this is the default, like I said earlier. Whereas if you do not believe and adhere to all of the same things I do, then you are against me. Then you're against me. And this is kind of what culture says. And let's be clear, this uniformity is happening on both sides of the political spectrum. It's happening on all sides of our culture in general. Friends, Jesus prayed in this prayer that we be example of unity to the world that has allowed for uniformity that we as the church need to be the voice crying out into our culture that there is a better way than uniformity. And then boldly showing them this better way of unity that can only be achieved by the Holy Spirit working within our lives individually and our lives corporately as believers. And it starts with each of, each of us individually committing to fighting for unity and not selling out or setting, settling for the uniformity in our lives and in the way that we treat those around us. Friends, what will be our witness to our world that is tearing itself apart? What will be our witness? Because we're journeying through enemy territory together, the, the disordered and broken order of the systems of our world. But we need to be so careful that the enemy doesn't convince us that those around us are the ones that we should be slashing with our swords. Those around us are not the enemy, both in and out of the church. Those are actually, those people are actually God's gift to us. They're not our enemy. The powers and principalities of darkness are the enemy. And it is through brandishing the sword of truth against the darkness as a unified front is the only way that we begin to see the victory of those coming to Jesus in our world. Unity cannot happen in isolation. We need each other. We need each other. Friends, I believe in the, the greater church. And I also believe in this church. I believe that we all can choose to step into the mess of unity so that the world can know the solution, which is Jesus Christ, which isn't even us. It's Jesus Christ, the only one who can save. And as much as this is maybe a sobering moment for each of one of us, 
as perhaps it's maybe a moment of repentance for some of us today, I'm so glad that Jesus shows us the way of unity in this passage. He shows us how we work toward unity together. Let's read uh, verse 22 all the way to 26. Does the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know, and these know that you have sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus here talks about how the glory that's been given to him, he has now given to us. And this sounds like kind of a great outcome or a great way of striving for unity to confirm our witness, where it's like, nice, like, I get to have glory. But friends, it's important for us to remember uh, at what point in time this prayer is framed in. Because Jesus' glorification in this passage is talked about in the shadow of the cross. This glory in the shadow of the cross appears weak and humble and with suffering. But in this passage, though, it's not just Jesus who is standing in the shadow of the cross, but the disciples, too, are standing there with Jesus. It is in death to ourselves that we achieve unity amongst each other. There is no other way. There is no other way to have true unity amongst diversity without this. There is no way to walk in the mess of unity without us deciding within ourselves to count the cost. And that cost is death to ourselves. It's obedience to God who calls us to love one another unto death. It is in this moment, as Jesus is calling for unity, that he was living in the very close shadow of the cross. And this is how we too must express this unity, with the cross in the forefront of our minds, the glory of Jesus, so that we never forget the motivation of our hearts or our witness and what that motivation should be. Glory is less about the triumphal and more about sacrifice on behalf of one another and on behalf of God's word and being obedient ultimately to him. Not only do we look on the shadow of the cross, but we also carry it as Jesus did. The glory Jesus talks about is connected with another word in this passage, love. In this case, it's agape love or the self-sacrificing, self-denying love for one another. Our unity must be marked with love because unity without love is conquest. Unity without love is conquest and that is not the way of Jesus. But friends, we will never be able to live this unless we experience and are continually transformed by God's glory in our lives. Jesus talks about this in verse 26. He said, I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me maybe in them and I in them. This is the glory of God's love, that he loved us from before we were born, from the foundations of the world, he loved us, that he still loves us and our brokenness and our failure and the times when we get it wrong or when we contribute to disunity. And his love would extend so far for you and I that he would die on a cross 
his ultimate glorification so that we could see the height and depth and width of his love. And is this transformation from glory to glory that 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about that allows us to walk in unity together? Because we will never be unified unless we regularly experience and live in the glory of Christ's love for us, one that went all the way unto death first, so that we ourselves could have the courage to die to ourselves in turn. The outcome of this love is that we are able to die to ourselves and walk in unity together, not ignoring each other's distinctiveness, but celebrating it as God's best for his church, as God's best for our witness to the world. And this is impossible for us unless we are walking in the spirit. And the outcome of this love is that we have unity amongst each other, which is a true witness to the world of God's love. Well, in high school, I, I played rugby. Uh, believe it or not, I did. And one of the ways that you restart play was when the, uh, when the game stops particularly is through what's called a scrum. And so I played in a position that, that was a part of that scrum. And the way that you formed a scrum is when people from your team would kind of grab the next person's shirt and you would like really tightly like link up and then people behind you would and people beside you would and people all the way behind them would as well. And as one kind of big unit, you would like crouch and you would engage the next team and you would like fight for possession to, to gain possession of the ball. And as you fought together, as you pushed to gain possession, there was one key to winning the scrum. It wasn't the strongest team that would immediately win possession. It wasn't the team that pushed the hardest but it was a team that determined that they would push as one, that one possession, where each person had their specific role, their individual contribution to that scrum, but they moved as one piece and they would win possession and they would advance the game forward. Friends, this is the picture of unity. There's effort, there's a push. Sometimes you experience the breakdown of that attempt but if each person in their unique role pushes ahead as one, then we will gain ground. And I loved my time playing rugby because it taught me a lot about trusting your team, trusting those around you. It taught me a lot about unity. It talked about how divided we easily can fall, but it was also a place that I found belonging even before I knew how to play the game. Well, friends, people are drawn to places of belonging. And the church must be a place where people can belong before they believe. And the first glimpse of Jesus' love is found in making safe spaces for everyone. And this is done by our witness to the world of unity, as a group of people pressing forward together as we navigate through enemy territory together. Safe places of belonging are found by celebrating others' diversity while still maintaining our unity where there will be people that will belong in our congregation, in our church, before they know how to play the game, before they are part of this faith. And so in that moment of unity that we have, I believe they will see a picture of Jesus. There's a quote by D.A. Carson that says, the gospel proclaimed is either confirmed and, and hence immeasurably enhanced, or it is contradicted and hence immeasurably weakened by the quality of the relationships in the pews. 
And so friends, we need to determine within ourselves to die to ourselves so that we can love one another, maintain unity, so that we can kill those habits and those practices that we have that contribute to small sparks becoming big flames. Because in doing so, the relationships of the, in the pews will be strengthened. The unity amongst those people will be strengthened and the world will see Jesus reflected in our unity. And so let us be people who don't settle for uniformity, but who strive for unity. And in doing so, show the world the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you modeled unity for us. God, we thank you that you've created us uniquely and diversely, and yet you invite us all to be centered around the same mission, the same goal, the same vision, the same person, who is you, Jesus. And so Lord, we take a moment to repent of the ways that we have contributed to small sparks becoming big flames. God, we walk away from that and we choose to have unity over uniformity here. God, may we determine in ourselves to love each other as we pick up our crosses daily and may united as one front that we would begin to show the world who you are, the only one who can save. God, we love you. And we thank you and pray us in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. Thank you, Pastor Marcus, for sharing that word with us. I have a few announcements for you. The first is if you have a preteen in your home, that's a student in grade five, six, or seven, we have our preteen party for the month of April coming up on the 27th at 6.30 p.m. We're doing the great cookie bake-off. All the ingredients will be here, but no recipes. It's gonna be chaos, it's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be so much fun. So if you have a preteen, send them here to the church, April 27th at 6.30 p.m. Next Sunday, we have a special guest speaker coming in. That's May 1st at 10 o'clock a.m. here in the church building, and that is Mark Lewis. He is one of our assistant superintendents for the BC Yukon District, so he's going to be joining us for that Sunday. We're so excited to have him. If you have been like thinking about coming to church in person and haven't done it yet, this is a great week to test it out at 10 o'clock here on May 1st. Well, we have been doing Grow Track for a while. Thank you so much to those of you who have gone through it. And Grow Track is kind of a two-parter. It is part who we are as a church, our history, values, our organizational structure, the places you can get involved and grow in your faith, and then who you are as we walk through your unique design and giftings and how God has created you and invited you into the journey of faith and in the journey of his kingdom using those specific ways. And so it's kind of a two-parter in learning more about us, but also learning more about you. And we've been historically doing this on Sunday right after church, but we recognize that that can be a challenge for some people, maybe you have little kids and after Sunday service, they wanna get home and eat or you just have things on. So we are gonna be doing Thursday nights for the month of May. So we're gonna grow track on May 5th, 12th, 19th and 26th at 6.30 p.m. So it'll be one, two, three and four. So not just four dates of the same thing, but 
all four classes will be on those Thursday nights. So if you've been wanting to be part of GrowTrack, but have been hesitant or unable to come because of the times, this is another opportunity for you to do that. Well, thank you so much for being here with us this morning, and thank you so much for your generosity and your faithfulness in giving. I've actually just recently been reading back through the book of Genesis and the principle of first fruits in bringing our best before God is so evident throughout that entire book. And it's such a great principle for us to live out with our walk with Jesus, not just our first in terms of money, but our first in terms of our time, our energy of spending it, pursuing him, of serving his kingdom and his people. We wanna bring our best and our first before him, and then he blesses the rest. And it's amazing how God seems to make the 90% stretch to pay 100% of the bills, because he is faithful as we are obedient. And so I wanna challenge you, if generosity is something that you've been struggling with, God is faithful when we are obedient. And so would you try, <laughs> with, this is a principle that God says that we can test him in, would you try giving your first fruits to him and allow him to bless the remainder? So I pray that you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here with us.